0: Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. And what is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. Imagine sitting in the lunchroom with colleagues In comes the university president who tells you, you'd make a great university president. How would you handle that news? Especially if it's before many women are a university president. Meaning you'd be a trailblazer. How would you respond in that moment? That's the story Dr. Saunders and I jump into at the front end of this episode. Toward the end, we discuss how to attract and retain talent, and you won't want to miss this incredibly practical tactic. So, Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump into the episode, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organize Binder, which increases student active engagement and participation and reduces classroom management issues. Learn more at OrganizeBinder.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. It's basically like a Fitbit for teachers, helping them be mindful of teacher talk versus student talk. Get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting TeachFX.com. Forward slash blbs. Have you ever wondered what kind of leader makes a good Mastermind member? Well, recently I asked the leaders I serve, and here's what they said about their peers. Eileen, a deputy head in Qingdao, China, said, Mastermind members are supportive, wise, and not afraid to kick your butt. Chris, a vice principal in Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada, courageous risk-takers, And learners are how I describe my mastermind peers. And finally, Melody, a principal in Kentucky, said mastermind members are generous, driven, and never satisfied with the status quo. If that sounds like you or peers that you'd like to surround yourself with, apply to the mastermind today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Well, hey there, Ruckus Maker. I'm here with Dr. Martha Dunnigan Saunders, the sixth president of the University of West Florida. In her 30-plus years in higher education, Dr. Saunders has served in academic and leadership roles at universities in Florida, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Mississippi. Her area of academic expertise is in public relations and crisis communication, for which she has won numerous awards. Dr. Saunders, welcome to the show. Thank
1: you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So will you take us to the moment? You're there, you're having lunch with the university president, and he mentions to you that you would make a great university president.
1: Sure. I had uh, come up the faculty ranks and I was a dean here at the university. And I had a president at the time who really took a keen interest in the leadership on his campus and spent time with us. And at the time we frequently ate together in the commons with the students. Uh, Faculty would go in or administrators and sit at big tables. And so, so there we were. And uh, he and I were the last two at a table and he complimented something that we had done in the college and, complimented our work. And, and then he said, you know, you'd be a good president. And, and I said, you know, oh, you know, go on, you know, shuts." shucks. Right. And, and he said, no, really you, you would, but we've taught you everything we can teach you here mm-hmm. and you need to go some other places and learn some other things. Mm-hmm. And that was about the most generous advice anyone had ever given me. I was in a place, my husband and I were in kind of a sweet spot where we could make a move together. So six months later, I was gone. Wow. <laughs> I was a, a provost at another place. And so he had to find another dean. But it was the first time I had ever, I think, even entertained the thought of being a president.
0: Mm. And I'd, lo- I'd love to dig in a little more to uh, why that moment was so profound for you and and also, you know, the timeline of six months and you're at a new place. Um, I'm curious, like, how you process uh, what you shared, that we taught you everything we could teach you here. You'd be a great uh, president. So I'll stop there.
1: Well, I, I think part of it was I've always been receptive to new challenges and new opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when they pop up, I i won't say I'm impulsive, but i I do process quickly. And it's either right for me or it's not right for me. So when he said that, I, A, I was so moved by his encouragement. I've been fortunate throughout my life to have people who've taken the time just to encourage me, not formal mentoring, but simply, hey, you're doing a good job. You should do that some more. And uh, so that was that. And then I went home and talked to my husband, and we were just as. As luck would have it, in a place uh, our last child had left for college. So a move was easy for us. It's not always that simple for some couples or some families. And so I thought, well, I'll go look in the Chronicle and see what's next. Uh, I was a dean, and there was a vice presidency uh, available in Georgia. And I was sit- sitting at my breakfast bar with a friend. And, you know, reading the Chronicle and telling her this story. And uh, when I named that school, she said, oh, I went there. That's a great school. You should go. (laughs) And so I applied and uh, it moved very quickly. And like I said, the following, you know, July, I was gone. (laughs) So uh, and moved on. And three years after that, moved into my first
0: presidency. During our intro call, you mentioned that you can only be the leader you are. How does that quote guide your work?
1: I think, you know, we all, anyone in leadership probably is always keen to listen to podcasts and read books on leadership and effective management and those things. But I've, I've also learned that you can adapt and adopt best practices But you're only who you are. And you're influenced very much by the world you came into, uh, the parents you had, the environment you grew up in, uh, the traits you developed, uh, your dispositions that you had early on. And if you try to be somebody else, you're just going to be terribly frustrated. Uh, For me, I had uh, a little unusual for at the time my mother worked she was a a private duty nurse. And in those days, I'm uh, dating myself a little bit, but in those days, before ICUs, if you were really sick, you had round-the-clock nurses. And so she was really good at her job, but she worked seven days a week until a patient, for it could sometimes be weeks and months, until a patient no longer needed her. So I say all that because I kind of raised myself. <laughs> you know, I had uh, a, a sister who was six years older, but I was, I was very independent. Got myself up for school, you know, and did some things that maybe before, all uh, other kids had uh, parents at home to, to uh, help them do that. So I, all that being said, it has made me fiercely independent. But there's a flip side to that too. One of the things I've learned is I don't ask for help, but I should. <laughs> I uh, you know you don't always think well. There's somebody out there that can give me good advice, uh, and I think that has uh, I've I've regretted not reaching out to folks for assistance when I should have because it just never occurred to me it was there. But you got to know that about yourself, and then you have to work around your inclinations.
0: Well, I appreciate that that imagery you're giving us of uh, two sides essentially to every coin, right? Uh, so right. The fiercely independent side, sometimes you don't rely on others uh, for help or ask for help. So now that you have that awareness, uh, Martha, th- does that impact how you show up and how you lead? I don't know if it was a moment like, dang it, why aren't I asking for help? Or if that's just something with experience and awareness now you know to reach out.
1: It's been more experience. again, the older you get, the more you're around the same problems more than once. I think you know, I could have called my colleague down the road and asked about that, but I tried to figure it out myself. It took time, didn't work all that well. Uh, so I think those are things that the longer you you develop a wisdom from experience. and that uh, that made a difference to me. I'm still, you know, very independent. I do process quickly. I make quick decisions and I know I'm making quick decisions. So I make sure I have people around me who are a little more reflective. Uh, My provost and I are a really good team. I tell him he's a historian. So he, you know, sees life in, you know, eras, (laughs) but he's gonna reflect and think on things a long time. I'm going to move quick, and between us, we make a pretty good administrator. Uh, every now and then, he'll say something like, "Could you wait, you know, just a day <laughs> before <laughs> you blow up the campus?" Yeah, <laughs> and I treasure his advice because I know he he is putting thought into things, uh, and so. But you you need to know yourself so you can help people around you who compliment you, and I've seen I've seen people fear having folks around who are not like them. And it's a fairly uh, unidimensional life uh, if everybody agrees. And then all you know is what you know, and not a lot gets done. I'd rather be challenged.
0: Absolutely. The challenge is the balance, uh, but also all the strengths, you know, that he brings to the table. Without that, you said Univision, you know, I'm thinking blind spots and uh, the echo chamber and you know exactly. uh, group and these things are toxic, you know, to me, in my opinion, for a culture. so really appreciate you uh bringing that up now, I, I want to bring us back to lunch and sitting with the university president and hearing that you'd be a great president because I know that there was bias you had to navigate, right to progress like you did through your career and I- and i'm I'm just very curious how you approach that
1: well. When I was in college uh, and often I'll have students ask me, you know, did you think about being a president when you were a student in college? And my answer was no, because they didn't make women presidents when I was in college of anything ever at all. And so for me, there weren't an awful lot of opportunities for women. We were on the front end of what we now call the women's movement. And so we did what we could. And the opportunity that was there, and that may be why I'm quick to jump on opportunities because they, that window closes pretty fast, and so I've had to learn sometimes to navigate without, you know, without. I, I never had a five-year plan <laughs> or a one-year plan because those career paths had not been created. I think a lot and often quote that the old quote about you know leadership is like driving at night. You can only see as, as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. And so I think in my career, I could only see sometimes just as far as my headlights, but I, could, I made the whole, the whole trip that way.
0: So what I'm hearing, it, it was about a season opportunity. And I guess uh, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if you can only see as far as your headlights, it's almost like one, one step after another.
1: So I mean you know where you, you kind of sort of know where you're going <laughs> and uh, you have a destination but you just don't know all the turns you're going to take or the the barriers in the way until often they're right upon you. I've learned to to respond quickly not just to opportunity but to challenges, to meet them head on and uh you know so that I guess the barriers that many women have have found in the workplace. I'm sure I had them. <laughs> they just, uh, you know, in, in hindsight, I, and I get this question a lot, in hindsight, I don't remember it bothering me too much because I was so excited about where I was going. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm on the road now and don't know how far I'll get, but, but we're, we're going. And that was, that was enough.
0: Well, Martha, I'm really enjoying this uh, conversation and hearing about how you got to where you're at today. When we come back after this short break from our sponsors, uh, let's talk about the interesting work you're doing at the University of West Florida. Better Leaders, Better Schools is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning, time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills and more. Organized Binder's color coded system is implemented by the teacher with the students, helping them create a predictable and dependable classroom routine. Learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. TeachFX is a research driven app that uses artificial intelligence to give teachers feedback on the balance of teacher talk versus student talk their use of open-ended questions, wait time, and equitable classroom dialogue. Learn more and get a special 20% discount for your school or district by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, and we're back, Martha. And how do you use mission as a touchstone in a barrier against the noise?
1: I think the mission of the institution, or or in your personal mission, it helps you keep the eye your eye on the ball. Uh, it's very easy to be distracted. Recently, in a staff meeting, I said, you know, we when you're in doubt, let's go back to what we're here to do. You know, we're to provide high quality undergraduate and graduate education, and if if what you're doing is a stretch from that, it brings you back to center. Uh, and helps you, it certainly eases the stress <laughs> of of multiple decision making. There will always be myriad opportunities out there for for the university to do, but you do need to keep a strong eye on where you're going. and it it eases a lot of
0: pain. You know, I was talking to a leader I work with uh, one-on-one, and, and she was considering renewing a contract of a teacher because uh, it's just very difficult these days to hire teachers. There's a teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a professor shortage, but I do know that universities are competing for the best. And I'm curious how you as a leader approach attracting talent and then growing the leaders within your organization. Oh, yes. And we compete with the rest of the country
1: for the best. So we have, I think one of the ways we have been successful, one is kind of creating a buzz around the institution. We want new faculty or rec- faculty recruits to have heard about us and say, hey, they're, whether it's in their specific field, they're doing some cool stuff or or just the institution in general but what they tell me the ones who come here you know the rock stars and they say i like it here because i can make my mark you know we we get into this business not to we have to make a living but we don't get into higher ed and the professoriate to get rich we get in to do the work we love to do and so the institution needs to make That opportunity available, and again, I've had more faculty say, "I can make my mark here. I can have a an entire career here," because we give them those opportunities and we encourage it. Kind of a, I I think the entire institution has, I call it a frontier spirit, but an entrepreneurial spirit, and we encourage new ideas, we try new things, Uh, we don't hesitate to say, "Well, that didn't work," and then we pull it back and try new things. And I think that 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 keeps things very fresh and very alive for our faculty. We don't lose faculty. They come here every now and then. I always pay attention uh, if a tenured, especially a tenured, but a tenure line faculty member leaves. We try to find out why. And uh, sometimes they are going to a place where maybe there's a richer research enterprise with what they do. But we just don't lose them. (laughs) They stay. Uh, And I think that's because it's a a rich place uh, where they can have a life and a career.
0: And, And if you're tapping into this idea of making your mark that, like you said, that's a big draw for people, the ruckus maker who's listening to this podcast episode, I'm sure they'd want to put that signal out, right? I'm sure they believe that too. We want to lead organizations where people can make their mark. Reflecting on your leadership, you know, is there anything about it that you think is putting out that signal so people know if I come here, I can make my mark?
1: Well, we, we celebrate it uh, for one thing. We recognize and, and show appreciation for uh, faculty who are making their mark. Not so long ago, I asked the deans to give me the names of the top students in their colleges, uh, not necessarily the ones with the highest GPA, but just, uh, I call them the golden children, <laughs> you know, the ones that they're just getting, taking everything you can give them and they're loving being there. They're great students. And so uh, I bought them all pizza uh, over several weeks and I asked them uh, one question I said, Who's your favorite teacher and why? Two questions. <laughs> and they told me. So then we interviewed those faculty, because we, the ones that the top students were, and you would be surprised, they weren't always in their majors. They were sometimes just someone they had taken. And then we, I said, what brought you here? What keeps you here? What feeds you? And I, in a lot of what I heard was I have the ability to, you know, to craft my own route and, and to make a mark. And so then we we celebrated it. We took pictures. We ran videos on those faculty because they captured the essence we think of where we are. And we continue to do that. We also connected that, uh, those little Make Your Mark interviews with their department homepages, also our HR homepage. So that it says, why come to work here? <laughs> and then you're hearing People who work here. Uh, And they weren't all faculty. Some of them were, you know, academic support folks, but they say, well, here's why I came and here's why I'm still.
0: Well, I love celebrating. So you gave a great story there with that. You're using your human resources and the people that you serve uh, on campus as testimonials for why they came here. And that's just a, a very clever and wonderful thing to do. And so I just, I appreciate, yeah, those pieces that you have there. And then I think it's very practical to, this is what I heard, interview top students and find out who their favorite uh, teachers were, go to them, figure out what brought them here and what keeps them around and really amplify that story. That's uh, that's great.
1: It was better than any
0: survey I could have done. It's just such a smart approach too, you know, so I, I really appreciate you uh, sharing that. So um, through that story, you mentioned that you've also learned from things that didn't work. So care to dig into that just a bit for us?
1: We have lots of uh, initiatives, ideas, but if they feel off, if they start to feel off, that's usually a sign that they're not working. i found that when things just get overly complicated, You know, we're trying to launch this program or some initiative and it just gets harder and harder. It's probably time to say, let's let's just take a breath and back off when I'm I like to fund uh, and seed new initiatives. But I give them maybe a three year window and we set some benchmarks. You know, at the end of three years, I would expect this but I always put a sunset in there and say, all right, here's, how, here's when we're going to declare this didn't work.
0: Wave in the white flag. Yeah. I like that.
1: Our needs to go on pause or come back later with a little, or be revised. And I think if you take the time on the front end to say, we're going to give this a go, but here's how we'll know it's not working. There aren't so many hard feelings. <laughs> and also then there is also not, um, uh, an assumption that it's going to stay there forever because you can really um, go broke doing that. <laughs> so, so that, I think that's been been a way of, of trying new things without putting so much risk there.
0: Well, Brene Brown says uh, clear is kind. And so by identifying what success looks like in what taking the project to the next level is uh, also why you would say, "Okay, this is done." Uh, that's just a, a wonderful way to communicate with the team.
1: And and usually, if they know that, you know, they're they're watching the dashboard too, right? And yeah. they may make uh, adjustments along the way and say, "Hey, I know it's not exactly where we thought it would be, but I've tweaked it, and you know, here we go." But and it's it's, it's you said it's teamwork.
0: It's teamwork. We're about at the time of the podcast where I get to two questions I love to ask every guest. So we'll start with uh, the marquee question, which is what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day?
1: Oh, there are so many, but I, one that has stuck in my mind, I think I read it in a book recently, and it said, If something scares you, get closer. Mm. And I think I would put that on every school because we 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 pull away from things we don't understand. And that's that's true in every field. You know, that we if we don't understand something, we back off from it and we often deprive ourselves of some real growth. So I think that's a rather provocative statement. Parents might not be real happy, but I think it's one that that would. If there was one essence of what higher ed is supposed to be, that's it. Get closer to things you don't understand.
0: You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? Oh, it would be totally immersive learning no
1: walls. We might not even need buildings. We just need places to stay or sit or convene. Where uh, in our community, especially Pensacola, is a very old town with just layers and layers and layers of history. So we have the community is our text. All we have to do is get out and walk around and and lecture, and and so they see it and they touch it. And and my school would be problem based. You know, students are gonna learn more when they can determine, hey, I need to know trigonometry to solve this problem. But it needs to be a problem based on provocative problems that turn them on to learning and let them figure out what they need to know. So I'm like all immersive (laughs) Uh, uh, if I had my way. Of course, with all the money in the world, we could take the students where they needed to be and bring the right people in to talk to them.
0: Martha, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember?
1: Oh, I'd say ask for help when you're stumped. There's a lot of help out there,
0: and people want you to succeed. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at AlienEarbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at BetterLeadersBetterSchools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.